In today's episode, I will be speaking with a Boar Swiss from theboarswiss.com. He recently published an article in which he redid the Trinity study, but with a few twists. In his research, he used data all the way up to 2018 instead of 1995. Also, he looked at if the 4% safe withdrawal rate is still holding up for 50 years instead of the 30 the Trinity study is using. Well, why does this matter? Well, right now, often our early retirements last far longer than 30 years, and in general, retirement uh, might even last longer than that. And it would be extremely nice if our money can keep up for those periods as well, so we don't run out in the end. And we finish up with also discussing the limitations of the study and how you can use the results for your own fight journey. So yeah, anyway, I hope this episode will be of value, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Today, I've got the poor Swiss with me, which uh, we, will, we will call Swiss guy to make it sound a little bit nicer for the whole episode. Hey, Swiss guy. Hey, how are you doing? Awesome. Good to have you. So today we are going to chat about the Trinity study and Swiss guy or the poor Swiss, as his blog is called, wrote a really awesome article on kind of like an updated version on the Trinity study, some new stats, simulations he ran and lessons we can draw out of it as Europeans. So that will be the main topic of this episode. But just quickly to, to get started, Swiss guy, can you run us through who are you? Where are you from? Uh, how did you came in touch with Phi? And why are we going to talk about the Trinity study today in your article? What makes it so important? So thanks a lot for having me. So as my name indicates, I'm from Switzerland. I've lived my whole life there in Switzerland. I'm a software programmer in a, in a big American company, but in Switzerland. I discovered Phi, I would say about two years ago, so it's pretty recent. And when I found the concept, I thought it was so interesting to imagine I could actually stop working at 40 or 50 and don't have to work all my life. And I decided to start a blog, the Purses, in order to like document my findings. And finally, I found out I really like blogging more than I thought. So I started working a lot on that. And about the Trinity study, so that's the basis of the 4% rule that a lot of people are using for uh, fire. And uh, it's an old study and many people actually refer to it, but I have no idea what that is. So I wanted to explain to people what exactly that is and what are the shortcomings and what can we uh, conclude from this study that is pretty old already. Gotcha. And why is it also so important? Because many people base a lot of their financial future on the study, on their forecast, their calculations. Can you run the listeners through what like, it actually means, how people use it, how they build their calculations to eventually get to financial independence and base the whole 4% rule with retirement plan on it? Sure. So what people generally do is they use the 4% rule. So 4% comes from the withdrawal rate. That means that every year you withdraw 4% of your portfolio based on the initial portfolio. For instance, if you start with 1 million, that means every year you can get 40,000 uh, out of it. And the idea of the 4% rule is that 
you will be able to uh, sustain for a certain amount of years your lifestyle by simply withdrawing from your portfolio and it should sustain you for a long period of time. Gotcha. And uh, the 4% rule, the way we get to that is um, because on average, we get 7% return from the stock market, but we adjust for inflation and then remaining is 4%, right? So you can always withdraw that 4% on an annual basis. In your example, with the 1 million, withdraw 40,000 euro, pound, whatever, take that off. And because of the replenishment of the growth of the stock market, new income, reinvestment, etc., you will replenish that amount uh, within your portfolio and eventually we'll be able to just keep taking it out and going from there. Um, so in that the essence, so that's the Trinity study, but the Trinity study is extremely old, right? Can you maybe also like run us through what are kind of like the foundations of the Trinity study? Uh, on what data is it based? I mean, because I know in your article you are mentioning they started in 1871 to pull stock market data to or use as the basis for their data set. Can you run us through? Because that sounds extremely old to me. Uh, sure. So uh, actually, the 1871 is the data I used for updating the results. The initial uh, Trinity study was starting something in 1930, if I remember correctly. And they used data from 1930 to 1995, I believe. That's about when the Trinity study was written. So they use all this historical data from the stock market. So what they add is like uh, yearly returns of the stock market and they simulated the withdrawal with many, many different uh, withdrawal rates in the past to see the chance of success of each of them. That's basically what they did. And from that, many people took the conclusion that 4% withdrawal rate was the best one for some reason, which is not entirely correct. Because one thing is that the original Trinity study is only checking up to 30 years. So never the, the, the original study never told anybody that you could sustain forever. They just said that with a 4% withdrawal rule, with a certain portfolio, you can sustain a retirement for 30 years. But what people don't get is that the original study was never about early retirement. It was only meant for standard retirement, which should never last more than 30 or maybe 35 years. Gotcha. And a few questions, actually, because obviously these were American researchers. Um, did they only use American data, American returns? And how was the component looking like of bonds versus stocks? Was it 50-50 or was it more like 80-20? So, yes, as you said, this Trinity study come from the Trinity University, which is in the United States. So they only took uh, American data. So they took the U.S. stocks and U.S. bonds. Fortunately, they tested different portfolios. So they tested 100% uh, stock, 75% stock, 50%, 25%, and 100% bonds. And for each of them, they checked the success rate that were possible with different withdrawal rates. Gotcha. But as you already mentioned, they ran it in 1995, but you know, we're obviously in 2019 right now. A lot happened, some major crashes. We've seen some really incredible returns. So the data is quite outdated. So can you run our listeners through like what you have done to kind of correct for that period? You've actually ran it up to, and you went beyond the 30 years, right? Because you ran simulations for 50 years. Yeah, exactly. So my my idea was twofold. So I wanted to see if the conclusion of the study were still valid 
now that we are in 2019. So with the stock market result up to 2018. So I, I gathered the data actually from still American. Unfortunately, I did not find enough data from, the, from Europe. So I did run some experiments, but not up to 50 years for Europe. But the problem I mentioned before was that they only did the experiment up to 30 years with the Trinity study. And some people are retiring at 30 years old. So they obviously need more than 30 years retirement. They need 50 or 60 or even 70 years of retirement. And they don't want their money to, to go away before they actually, I mean, before the end. So I did, I took all this data from 1871 to 2018. And I did basically the same experiment that they did. So of course, I, I had to, to code again the experiment. And I ran the simulation for, at first, the same uh, configuration they used, but then I also tried to use different portfolio. I tried to check uh, different withdrawal, uh, more withdrawal rates that they did. I also tried to use some checks about when you should rebalance or, n- or not during retirement, things like that. So with all this data, I can do a lot of uh, things. And basically, what I found is that the result of the study hold very well. So what was shown from uh, only about 80, less than 80 years of data that they used when they did the study is still true now that we have uh, more than 100 years of data and it still holds true up to 2018. Amazing. And that's obviously, of course, the whole point of financial independence, uh, being able to retire early. And if we would run out of money after 30 years, that would be quite said so having that confirmed that it still would hold up even up to 50 years it's really good to know because i think a lot of people right now they're going lower they're seeing the three percent or 3.5 is a new four percent they're going really conservative in some point of use and just afraid if they don't do that they would run out of money which so but Again, this is still based on American data, right? So I'm curious if we, for example, would take VWRL or any other world uh, covering ETF, if we would solely use that, if it would still hold up. And as you mentioned, unfortunately, we don't have the data, so we cannot run that experiment. Um, but I'm, I'm curious if that would uh, come up with a different result than just solely basing it on American data. Do you have any thoughts on that? Or do you just think that's just something we cannot say anything about or draw conclusions of? So two things regarding your first point for the withdrawal rate. It's true that uh, now many people are recommending withdrawal rates below 4% because when you are thinking, uh, when you are doing the simulation for up to 50 years with a 4% withdrawal rate, even with 100% stock, you have like 90% chance of success. For some people, it's fine. For some, it's not that good. But when you are lower uh, level of stocks, for instance, if you only have 60% stocks, you only have 80% chance to succeed. So if you are a bit flexible, it's still okay. But for most people, they prefer to have a higher level of uh, success. So they they aim for something like 3.5, 3.6. Some people even 3.25, which is a bit extreme in my opinion, because the lower you, you aim, also the more you have to accumulate uh, before you are five. Now, regarding Europe, so yeah, as you said, it's difficult to really say because it's difficult to find the data, unfortunately. It seems that Americans are a bit more open about this. But I would say that it's fine as long as you use a diversified portfolio. So of course, we are in Europe. It's still small when you compare to United States. This, 
United States stock market is like 55% of the world stock market. So if you invest in the world stock market, I would say you, you are unlikely to get issues. The only issue you could get is like more for currency. If like you are in the eurozone and the euro that's extremely devaluated, you could get in trouble. Aside from this, I think even in Europe, we are fine with the 4% rule or the 3.5% rule. Okay, so the same rules still apply, just simply the currency risk where well, you have to take that in consideration up to a certain extent, because if we look at fluctuations between the USD and the euro, they can be quite massive even year on year. And if suddenly the value of the euro would drop or go up by 20%, either way, it would, could really affect you know, your portfolio and the amount of you withdraw on annual basis. That's actually something I don't really see discussed because we all invest in American-based ETFs most often. And that, yeah, I'm actually curious what would happen if we would run a similar simulation, but take currency risk into consideration as well. And obviously that can go both ways. Would it even be possible to run something like that? Or do we then go beyond what, what is just possible with the data we've got? That's a very good point, because as you say, we invest on ETFs that are mostly in US dollars, but we spend euros, most of Europe, or I spend Swiss francs. So I need to look at when I sell my ETF to actually withdraw money, and we also need to convert that ETF in a currency I can use. I cannot use US dollars in Switzerland, cannot use them in Europe. I think that's something you could, you could do. That's actually a very, very good idea. You could simply take the historical data for like... Uh, USD and Euro and simply take that into account. So we imagine you have 100% stocks in US stocks and then you account for the withdrawal in Euro. If, if we can find such data, and I think it should exist, then there's definitely something we could do. And that's the first good step in having a real simulation for Europe or Switzerland or any other country with a different currency. Perfect. I'm curious if you would build like a screener where you say, okay, these are the returns. You add currency risk, you factor that in. And on top of that, you also factor in sequence of return risk to, in the end, kind of like get to the most accurate simulation we can create for your portfolio. Because if you solely base your entire future on this, if you really have to live off this for 50 years, even if the simulation now says, okay, it will work out, you'll be able 90% uh, chance you mentioned right or go to 3.5 and have 100%. Because if that works, if you solely base yourself on that, I mean, you have to take every possible precaution. And I'm actually pretty curious if, so let's say we go to 3.5% right now, but we add a currency risk on top. We extrapolate it out over the next 30, 40 years. If it still holds up, I generally don't know, especially given um, all the different situations we've seen over the last decades. Because if you think about it, this is far before my time. But if we go back to the 90s, 80s, 70s, with really high inflation, interest rates of 11%, and we go over here right now and we see... 1.8% inflation, extremely low, but also extremely low savings um, returns or your savings accounts. If you take the whole in consideration, the extremes are so enormous that I would be really curious if, I mean, this is obviously just theoretically speaking, but if we would take all those factors into account, can we even make proper predictions or are there just too many criteria and factors involved to really say 100% this will do X, Y, Z? I mean, I guess. 
I'm just rambling out loud a little bit, but in the end, can we, if we would take that all in consideration, can we truly come up with accurate predictions or is it just a really good best guess? That's a very good point because most people don't realize that this is just historical simulation. Even though we take like about 150 years of simulation, which is very good, nothing tells us that the future will not uh, change a lot, especially when you take currency in, into account. Nothing tells us that euro will still be here in 20 years, even Swiss francs. And as we've seen recently with the, the EU, it's not that stable, I would say. There are a lot of uncertainties for some of the countries. Taking that into account is extremely complicated. And you also mentioned sequence of returns risk. You have one with the stock market, but you have exactly the same one with currency. So if you are very unlikely and you put both uh, and you run into both at the same time, like you have a huge downturn in the stock market and you have a huge downturn in your currency, you may well withdraw like 10% of your entire portfolio in a year, which you are unlikely to uh, really recover from in the long term. So that's something that the more factor you add into it, the less accurate will be the simulation. And as you said, we are very low inflation currently. I'm not sure what will happen if we go back to hyperinflation. Hopefully, we will never go back there. But some countries went through that. And I honestly think that many people would not have a good retirement if the inflation went back to 10% or 15% or these levels that were actually common like 50 years ago, even in, in the US. So you need to take, I guess you need to take a lot of precautions. You don't, you cannot really trust the, the study. It just, what was in the past. That's also, if you really want to be safe, you need to go even lower than 3%. But at some point, there is also something that's too much safety. Because if you run the simulation with a 2% withdrawal rate, you will end up after 50 years with like 50 or 60 times the money you started with because you didn't spend any and it took you maybe 40 years to accumulate it. So there is something that's too much safety, I think. Okay, yeah, very fair call on the inflation part. And I guess if we take all those factors in consideration, inflation, currency returns, and at the same time as well, the actual stock market returns, because at this very moment, uh, many experts rate IO, Warren Buffett, et cetera, et cetera, all forecast far lower returns on the long run based on the amount of free money all the central banks are pumping into the stock markets. And regardless if we can actually use it as forecasts or know what it means, um, just simply another risk factor we have to partly take into consideration. What if the markets only return 4% instead of 7 Does the whole thesis still apply? And with all that in mind, what I'm really curious about and also your opinion, like how can we still use this? Can we use it as the best guess or is it just kind of like, okay, it's nice to be there, but we have to leave it at that. And, you know, let's say we can use it as the best guess. How do we use it best then? Let's say I want to predict or build my five plan based on this and I've got a normal income in Switzerland or anywhere in Europe. I can say 50, 60% of my income how can I use this best if I plan out my financial future? That's also uh, a good point. So I think it's still a very good tool and that's the best one we have. So we have 150 years of data. We can see that it worked very well in the past. So nothing should indicate that it will not work in the past. And it also worked during periods of very high inflation. 
So it should work during periods of low inflation and high inflation as well. Of course, it's just an estimation. So people should be conservative when they consider that. I think there are a few things you can do to actually improve your uh, your chance of success. For instance, if you can get even a small income in retirement, that could be like a side, side hustle, that could be like a project, that could be like other kind of investment not tied to the stock market or real estate rentals. This could uh, increase very significantly your chance of returns. As you said, so if the, the returns are very much lower, like we are talking 4% on, uh, per year, we are going to be in trouble. That's that's something we would like to be below 3%, maybe 2% residual rate. And that means we have to accumulate a ton of money to be able to reach that. One thing we can still consider is even though the stock market is different, people in Europe invest still mostly in the US and most people in Europe should invest like in uh, VT or any uh, world total stock market. And if you look at the performance of this compared to the Standard and Poor 500 index, you can see that it's mostly the same. When the S&P 500 goes up, the VT goes uh, goes up. And when it goes down, the VT goes down. There's very big correlation between both. It's not fully correlated, of course, but still as a very good indicator. I mean, if it works with the US stock market, it should work with the world stock market. And now, if you trust it, of course, then what you do is that you choose the withdrawal rate that you are the most comfortable with. If you are very uh, conservative, you choose something like 3.2, 3.3, or then or you choose something like 4, even maybe 4.2, 4.3. And then you divide 100 by this number. This uh, gives you the number of years you need to accumulate. So let's say you have 3.5 to give you 28 years of expense you have to accumulate. You you accumulate that over the years, as you said, maybe saving uh, 50% of your salary. You accumulate all this uh, expense. Uh, obviously, you will be also aided by the returns of the stock market. If you don't invest, it will be a nightmare to, to reach this amount of money. And once your net worth reaches this level, you should be uh, five. And then you need to know if you want to retire directly or if you want to go like maybe half retirement or only keep some side hustles to still increase your chances of success. Um, because, the, of course, the longer you work, the more chances of success you get. But that's not really the point of retirement to work longer. But there are tools to increase your likelihood of success. And I think people should at least know that these tools exist. You could also be flexible in your spending. If you are not sure that uh, you will uh, be able to sustain 4%, then you could also make sure that uh, you have a few things you can cut. You can stop going to vacation and put your withdrawal rate at maybe 3.5%. Or you could uh, cut some of your hobbies or your restaurants and go below 3%. And with some amount of flexibility, you can greatly increase your uh, chances of success. Gotcha. One thing I would also like to point out is that um, we might have a lot of things that make it riskier, but at the same time, over the last 30 years, one thing has massively dropped fees, as in actual fees we have to pay for investments. Right now, VWRL is standing at 22 basis points. Vanguard recently lowered these costs. And if you think about what we paid 30 years back to have assets invested, I have not been able to find reliable data. I was looking for a chart showing how the cost on investments have dropped over the last 30 years because I would find it really awesome to say, 
okay, in 1970 it was 2% and now it's XYZ, but one thing we can confirm, certainly it has dropped massively. Um, that's something, you know, can we calculate it exactly to a certain extent, but that's uh, a positive one that's worth mentioning. And I really like how you're describing uh, the ways we can actually still work with it because we've got a number of really powerful tools available. The income, we can earn more money. You already mentioned a couple of really good examples, but our costs as well, we can lower them. And with those two levers, playing around with them and tweaking where needed, I'm convinced that everybody in the FI community is completely capable of forecasting. Okay, if I plan a year around or a year ahead, if I simply do this or play this around, then it still works. And having that mindset working like that, that's that is in the end the key of making it work. Not necessarily if you have 3.9 or 4.1% up to a certain extent, but I really believe in the power of flexibility. And if you combine it with at least having a decent nest egg uh, saved up that you can utilize to well not run out of money and still have a certain level of income, we can make this work. So that's a very good point about fees. Because yes, as you said, we have a few disadvantages now compared to the past, but we also have a very big advantage. The fees went down probably from around maybe 2%, like you said, maybe a bit below, I don't know, but to some fee, some funds have less than uh, 10 basis, basis points now. That's a huge difference in our advantage. And if you invest only in very low fees, funds can make a very large difference. I mean, 1% is the same. 1% fees is the same as 1% inflation. And we also have lower inflation than uh, in the past. So when you put these two, you also have uh, a nest egg that is very, very stable over time. So you don't get eaten by fees. You don't get eaten so much by inflation. Of course, there's still some inflation, but not as much as in the past. So we can also use that to say that uh, we have some advantages and it should prove very, very helpful in the future. And I also guess the main lesson we can draw from this as well. If you're looking for it, you will always find negatives. You always find positives. I guess in the end, we have to try to stay as neutral as possible. Utilize this. It might not be the perfect tool, but use it in the best way possible. And use the strength it gives us because it means we can retire early and actually make plannings on based on the returns we've seen in the past. And I find it really awesome. So I think we've to like great length and detail discuss the Trinity study now. Would there be anything else you would like to mention towards the listeners? Please be aware of XYZ. And if you would want to, for example, run a similar simulation, like is would there anything else you would like to mention regarding the article? Yes. So just I think one thing you said is is indeed important that we need to be neutral. And that's something that pe- so some people really are not in the personal finance community. You really need to not also believe that the 4% rule is the holy grail. You need to run the simulation for your situation. Every situation is different. And uh, really, really do the math yourself. It's not that difficult. If you want to run the simulation, for instance, the data is already available everywhere. I've been able to find out. And I will also release the data I've been using uh, next month. should be on my blog. And I will also release the, the code I've been using to run my simulation. So the idea is that everybody should be able to run this. And I think it's it's great that everybody needs to be aware, aware that the data is here. What can you do but not believe it's really the truth? It's just what is the best tool we have, but uh, we need to stay neutral with it. Very fair call. And we will definitely link to all these tools in the show notes and when they are released in a month, because this episode will probably go out before that. Link to them as well. 
Yeah, because that in the end, having those tools, doing the research, that gives you ability and insight on your long-term re retirement track record and opportunities. Because if you simply stick your hand or head in the sand, then just do nothing, then it might work out. But one thing I believe in, at least I think many of of our listeners and people in the fight community, we, we don't want to control everything, but we at least want to know and it makes us capable of making insightful decisions on our future. Because how can you make choices if you don't know? And these kinds of tools will allow us to do so. One last thing I would like to mention uh, as well, we did an episode in the past on does the 4% rule still apply to Europeans? And that episode just went into, okay, how is the 4% rule structured? And what are all the caveats and um, criticism that's being fired at it? And why might it not be true? Why might it be true? Lots of things like um, a few things we also mentioned today, but I really think if you want to be fully informed, that episode is also worth a listen to yeah, really come up with like an actual insightful opinion. And obviously also still tons of other sources out there that are worth checking. And I, uh, the two, or well, actually the one I would most recommend is the stock series of Jim Collins, which I think is really worthwhile checking out and to just get an insight of how does the actual stock market work. We will link to all of that, obviously in the show notes. But yeah, I think after this great discussion, it's time to slowly wrap it up. So just to also ask our guest, if anybody else wants to reach out to you or learn more about you, where can they find you? So the obvious place to find me is directly on my blog, thepoorswiss.com. I'm also on Twitter, thepoorswiss, on Facebook, thepoorswiss as well. That's the best way to directly find me. I, I answer every mail, I answer every comment. So please join, uh, contact me. I will be very glad to discuss anything uh, with my readers. Awesome. And I've seen in quite a few Reddit threads and Facebook groups, this article, which we've discussed today, being quoted and people having great discussions on it and finding it a really valuable resource. And yeah, straight away on that topic, if there would be one resource you would people recommend checking out that's not well known, it can be one of your own blog posts, one of somebody else, what would, would be the one resource you, you would recommend listeners to check out? So I think I will actually cite two things. The one you cited... Uh from uh, GL Collins SH. It's very good, the stock series. I would also recommend the Early Retirement Now Safe Withdrawal Rate series. It's also about 30 blog posts, but it's it's really incredible. And my 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 data is based on the same data I used. So it, uh, it's very insightful if you want to learn more about uh, FI and uh, withdrawal rate. Perfect. Uh, I've read the whole series in the past myself. I actually just started rereading it because in the end, it is so much information at once. And I think it, it is one of the things you should always read as the first kind of like thigh inside tool to get started. And then, yes, yeah, so the last question of the show today, what would be the number one actionable tip uh, you would give for some bad, somebody on the bed to thigh? What is the one thing you would recommend them doing that's more powerful than anything else? I would say it's a simple one, very simple, to just track your expenses. Many people focus on the budget, but I think that budget are not that powerful, but just tracking your expenses, know where your money is going, you will realize that a lot of money is not going where it should be and that many people are spending much more than they think. Once it's everything in paper or in spreadsheets, people see that they can save much more than they expect. Awesome answer. And with that one, we will uh, round up the show. Poor Swiss, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure as well. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are not enough financial independence Facebook groups yet? 
Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Five Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project, to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe Podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe Podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.